Hey, listener. Before we get into the good stuff, I just wanted to let you know, if you'd rather just get this entire audiobook at once and start listening to it immediately, just head over to my website at nickthacker.com audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash audio. The Atlantis Stone by me, Nick Thacker, read by my good friend, Mike Vendetti. Chapter 2, 1022 p.m., White Rock, New Mexico, USA. The gust of wind hit Jake in the face and jolted him upright in his seat. Had he fallen asleep? He quickly squeezed his eyes open and shut a few times, working out the grogginess. Rolling up the window of his 2008 Ford Focus, he set his gaze on the dark, winding road in front of him. After making this hour-long trip from Santa Fe to the laboratory twice a week for the past two years, he knew the mountainous highway pass could be treacherous, especially at night. The Albuquerque and Santa Fe news stations routinely reported accidents along this section of Highway 4, and accidents that usually involved casualties. As the road ahead straightened out, Jake stole a glance toward the phone in his lap. Had he really been out of it enough to miss a call? With one hand on the wheel, he thumbed through his messages and tapped the number of the missed call. I must have missed your call. Sorry about that. What's up? He knew even before he said it exactly what was up. Feigning ignorance was an attempt to distract her. Let her calm down. Didn't work. The initial concern in Allie's voice disappeared in a heartbeat. You need to get over here now, she said. It's been a week, and we still haven't worked through this. Are you going to keep running away from our problems even after the baby comes? Jake's mind raced through the excuses he had planned over and again in his head during the last few days. Maybe they weren't supposed to be together right now. Not with his new job. Her postgraduate studies had made things more difficult as well, and they rarely spent time together. Maybe they were too stubborn. Maybe he just needed some alone time. Maybe... Jake! Her voice in his ear woke him out of his thoughts. I know, I'm on my way now. I just need some time to process everything. You've had enough time to process this, Jake. Your work keeps getting in the way. Or you're not ready to talk. Or you have some other reason to push this off. The fact of the matter is, this baby is coming and neither of us can do anything about it. He knew this story. It was his fault to begin with. Hearing her retell it, he couldn't help but relive the past three weeks. The project at work, knowing she wouldn't understand, but longing to tell her everything and hope she would trust him. News of his father's death last month. 
traveling to Arizona for the memorial with Allie nearly eight months pregnant. The argument over something so small, so stupid, really. The fight that grew and grew during the trip, leading to their temporary separation. Allie to her parents' place in Durango and Jake staying home in Albuquerque to continue working while they sorted things out. It amazed Jake how quickly they went from best friends to bitter opponents over something so insignificant. He knew how it would end. She'd apologize for being irrational, and he'd promise to stop being so stubborn. They would laugh a little and kiss, and then go back to the way it had always been, since they'd met in college at Boulder, arguing over lab assignments and helping each other out on midterms. His reverie slowly faded, and he smiled at the fact she hadn't yet stopped talking. Now she was rehashing how her mother had tried to talk her out of marrying him. Man, they'd been through a lot together. And it had only been seven years. They'd laughed, cried, fought, and otherwise experienced the full range of human emotions together. And now he thought about how much he cared for her. As Allie talked, the road climbed into a steep left turn around the mountainside. The sheer cliff on the right, Jake compensated for the incline by pushing down harder on the gas and began to veer left into the turn. Jake, are you listening to me? I love you. We just need to talk, and I don't want to do it over the phone. How much longer will... Her voice cut off mid-sentence, just as a heavy snap sounded around him. It was like the air in a car had been immediately and finally sucked out. The resulting pressure change in the car even caused his ears to pop. What the hell? He checked his phone, dead. As he fumbled for the power button, however, he realized it wasn't just the phone. Everything around him had gone completely dark. Dashboard wasn't lit, the radio had died, the red LED on his phone's charger had vanished. Even the solitary streetlights every few hundred yards had gone out. Jake was suddenly plunged into an enveloping blackness. But the car was still moving, now cresting the hill and accelerating downward. Jake pressed on the brake, the pedal slid easily to the floor. He tried the ignition and the power steering as well, but got nothing. It was as if the car, and everything around him, electronic or mechanical, had just shut off at once. He tried to stay calm, to focus on slowing the car, but gravity was against him. His palms started to sweat as he tried to picture the edge of the road, the slight shoulder with a rocky gorge beyond. Jake had driven this pass plenty of times, from home to the lab and back, but without headlights he couldn't see a thing. The right tires began to kick up gravel and Jake pulled hard on the wheel trying to compensate. He overcorrected, and it was too much. The back tires kicked towards the cliff as the car skidded perpendicular to the road. Jake felt the pull of momentum, but he held fast to the steering wheel with his left hand as he reached for the emergency brake with his right. Yanking back as hard as he could, he immediately felt the brake grab. The tires locked, but the car didn't slow, sliding through the loose gravel as though it were on a sheet of ice. Time slowed to a crawl. Jake was helpless and frozen in place. There was nothing he could do to prevent the inevitable crash. An intense flash of light enveloped him, and he heard the engine and instruments come back to life, as if they had never stopped. The flash dissipated, 
and he was able to again make out the headlights and dashboard instruments. Just as the same loud snap and pressure change from moments before hit him again. All this he saw and felt in an instant, one that vanished as time sped back to normal. He saw before him the vast emptiness beyond the edge of the cliff as the car shot over the brink. Time slowed once more. He was suddenly weightless. He hovered a few inches above his seat, tethered by the seatbelt. As the car hurtled toward the ground, Jake could do nothing but stare through the windshield, mesmerized and helpless. Chapter 3 9.13 a.m. White Rock, New Mexico, USA Cole's morning was shaping up to be one of the best he'd had in a while. The sweltering heat of summer had finally faded into a bearable warmth that made his early morning runs quite enjoyable. Throughout college, he'd slowly gained weight and gotten less fit. And as he continued to eat whatever and whenever he liked, he watched his high school football player's body morph into a middle-aged storehouse of excess flab. At 27, Cole finally decided this extra baggage was unacceptable. Fourteen months and 67 pounds later, Cole was well on his way to being more healthy and fit than he'd ever been. His parents were proud of his weight loss and fitness accomplishments, but they feared that Cole was too into his workouts and his new lifestyle was going to consume him. Already he had gone through three girlfriends in three cities in just over five years, and each failed relationship had left him feeling emptier than the one before. But now, with just the open road to contend with, none of that mattered. He enjoyed this run, the 7.2 miles from his home outside of White Rock to the second switchback, where he'd turn and head home. New Mexico's mountainous landscape stretched for miles ahead and to his left and a sheer cliff face flew upwards on his right. Running used to daunt him, but in this setting, it was different, more relaxing. As he approached the second switchback, his mind wandered, comparing his past failures and disappointments with his present health and potential. A year ago, he couldn't have walked this route without oxygen. Today, he'd finish the run, take an ice bath, and not even feel strained in the morning. Maybe he'd head into Santa Fe tonight and meet up with some new friends, or maybe he'd relax at home with a movie and a beer. Cole loved the freedom of living one day at a time, accountable only to himself. The switchback appeared ahead of him, and he slowed to a jog for the last hundred yards. Just as he started his turn, he caught a flash out of the corner of his eye. Three hundred yards away at the base of the cliff, he could barely make out a destroyed vehicle. Cole stopped and stared. That wasn't there yesterday. Surely the police should know about it by now. He squinted, unable to make out any details. He started jogging toward the wreck. From here, he couldn't see any signs of other cars or people. There were no sirens either. He got closer. The sedan was almost completely crushed. Obliterated, really. He wouldn't have been able to even recognize that the thing used to be a vehicle if not for the tires. One was smashed, but still connected to the axle. 
and another could be seen resting on its side about a hundred paces off. He looked up, knowing that the stretch of road he was on climbed up and around this mountain. These highways in and out of White Rock and the surrounding area often had switchbacks and tight turns, and someone must have driven their car off the road, landing on this lower section of road. There was a blackened wall of rock to the car's left and a small crater beneath it, spreading and cracking onto the two-lane highway. Bits and pieces of charred vehicle and metal components were strewn outward around the wreckage. The whole mess was steaming and smoking, and he could hear hisses and pops every few seconds. Cole kept his eyes forward as he neared the wreck. He slowed to a quick walk and eyed the car carefully, looking for survivors. Smoke stung his eyes, and the heat of the dying fire was still intense. The acrid smell assaulted his nose and mouth. Hello, he called out. There was no response. He knew no one could have survived such a crash, but still, something about the situation wasn't right. He crouched down, trying to peer through the smoke and twisted metal into the car's interior. Straining to see through the smoke and hot air, he tried to discern any signs of life from within the vehicle. Seeing none, he bent down closer to the ground. Crunching of heavy boots on gravel sounded behind him. The hairs on the back of Cole's neck stood up, and he scrambled backwards away from the wreckage. Stand up, place your hands on your head, and step back away from the vehicle. The voice was deep and menacing, with a gravelly strain that suggested its owner preferred not to speak unless absolutely necessary. Shit, Cole thought. Cops are here, and I'm the only one around. He placed his hands on his head and turned slowly to his left. Do not move. Do not turn around. The bellowed command seemed very out of place for a police officer at a crash scene in the middle of the desert. Cole tensed, then continued to back up. After several paces, he stopped and hesitated, awaiting further instruction. Who does this guy think he is? Here, there was a metallic clang and a thud. Cole looked at the ground to his right, seeing a crude set of shackles. Put them on, then turn around. Cole's heart was pounding. He had no desire to put on handcuffs and place himself at the mercy of some stranger who wasn't acting much like a cop at all. What if this was just some wacko looking to rob him, armed with nothing but rusty shackles and a scary voice? Cole decided he'd take his chances. He spun around to his left, straight into a crushing blow square on his cheekbone. Stars flashed inside his head, his eyes blurred, and he dropped to one knee. Pain was unbelievable. He had been hit before in schoolyard fights mostly, but this was something else, like getting hit by a truck. Cole got up, wiping his eyes with his wrist, struggling to clear his vision. He looked up into the face of a behemoth, a broad-shouldered man with a slightly hunched back, dressed in military fatigues and holding an assault rifle loosely in his massive hands. Get up, boy, and hurry. Cole realized the man spoke with an accent, but he couldn't quite place it. Russian? Eastern European? Then, as his eyes finally refocused, Cole saw the other three men. Hey, listener, 
This podcast is a year-long journey, but I get it. Sometimes we're in it for the destination, not the journey. If you want it all at once, right now, without having to wait a year, grab it here, nickthacker.com slash audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R dot com slash audio. Oh, and if you use the code PODCAST2021 at checkout, I'll give you another 20% off.